0: Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. Today's episode is about CRISPR gene editing technology, which has given scientists and gene hackers alike the ability to rearrange the building blocks of a living organism to virtually any purpose they want. This opens the door to a range of discoveries from groundbreaking therapies for cancer to physical and cognitive enhancements. The question weighing on the minds of some ethicists is, as we gain the power to change anything about life, can we discern how far we should take it? Do the possibilities of CRISPR destabilize the existing standard of ethical discourse? Can CRISPR change what human beings are? With us to discuss this topic is Father Nicanor Ostriaco, Associate Professor of Biology at Providence College and author of Biomedicine and Beatitude An Introduction to Catholic Bioethics. Father Ostriaco, welcome to Ethics on Air. Thank you for having me. Before we go into some of its specific implications, would you briefly describe CRISPR technology?
1: So, CRISPR is a very recent, and I'm talking just in the past several years, a a very recent technological advance that allows biologists to precisely edit any genome in the world. Now, if you imagine the genome to be a book with sentences and punctuation, for the first time CRISPR would allow a scientist to take any letter, say a G, and replace it with a T, or to remove a comma, or to add a period. Now I'm speaking metaphorically, of course, but the precision for the gene editing is, is, is really unbelievable. Number one. number two is this is technology that we took from bacteria. So this is a technological advance that emerged from research that were lo- research scientists were looking at bacteria and they were looking to see how bacteria protected themselves against viruses, and one of the things that bacteria do to protect themselves against viruses, they precisely attack viral DNA. And so what biologists have been able to do is to co-opt this technology, the same machinery that the bacteria uses to destroy invading viral DNA, and to tweak it so that it's now able to, to precisely alter a target genome. And so it's CRISPR, And it's surprising how in the past three or four years, it's moved from uh, the results described in one lab to technology that's available online, such that any genome hacker, anyone who would like to buy a kit could buy this kit and begin to alter genomes of any organism in the garage.
0: So are these kits just fun science experiments like the ones we all did in high school where you'd mix chemicals and watch them change colors, or do they have a practical application as well?
1: So uh, one, of the, one of the kits that's available right now is you can get a CRISPR kit that will allow you to change the genes, aging anyway, in this particular case, of uh, the yeast that is used to bake, to bake bread and to brew beer. And you can actually alter the color of these yeasts, so that they become red by simply changing one of the genes that that yeast normally has. Now, the thing about that is that in the same I mean, you know if you have the technology in your garage to alter the the sequence to edit a gene in yeast so that it goes from white to red, in principle, you also that same kit can be used to alter any of the other 5900 or so genes that yeast have in their genome and so you can begin to alter yeast maybe you might want to alter yeast so that it's able to survive in higher amounts of alcohol and so your your beer that you brew is going to be more alcoholic than a typical beer so that's just very that just that, that's just one example of how we can begin to play i mean imagine a cell as a as a Lego kit. I mean, that's what CRISPR allows us to do. It, it allows us to to mix and match different genes, to alter genes, to try to figure out how we can change a living cell, a living organism to do what we want it to do.
0: So how is CRISPR being used in biomedicine? So biomedically, it's being used
1: right now uh, in so many different ways. So one way it's been uh, CRISPR is being used is that it's being used to alter genes that we know are involved in cancer. So the idea is that cancer cells are cancerous because they have genetic mutations in them. There are scientists who are exploring the possibility that we could use CRISPR to go in there and repair uh, and restore the normal gene. And then if this if this is possible, and again, this is all still theoretical because of the Uh, It's just so recent, the advance. If this is possible, this could be one way of, quote, curing cancer is to find ways to to introduce CRISPR technology into a cancer or to a tumor and revert the tumor back to normal. Uh, There are also experiments that are attempting to alter mosquitoes so that mosquitoes, when released into the wild, would be unable to be infected with malaria or Zika virus. And so you can imagine that there are many, many different ways today that we could use this genome editing CRISPR technology to change organisms so that they are, in our eyes, better than they would be before the editing.
0: But isn't researching new therapies only one way that CRISPR can be used? So,
1: so here's the thing, right? Once you can, once you have the technology to start changing genes and editing genes, in many ways we are now free to change anything. Now, the so I have proposed that there are there are ways of changing genes so that you can cure disease, and this is a therapeutic uh, approach. And there are many ways. You can imagine that uh, individuals with inborn genetic disorders. Um, they're lacking a gene that makes them susceptible to one disease or the other. That this CRISPR could be used in utero, for example, in order to fix the genetic change. The thing is, once you're able to change genes, you can change normal genes to enhance their function. So there are there are genes involved in muscle development, for example. There's myoD, myogenin. These are different genes that are involved in muscle development, and we know that. You can alter these genes to enhance muscle mass. So you could imagine that they're in the in the not so distant future, some bodybuilder who would like to bulk up would actually use CRISPR in his own in his own muscles to try to alter the muscle structure so that they bulk up even before he goes to the gym, or in a way that enhances his ability to bulk up. When he goes to the gym, so you see, and and this is this is what is called the enhancement approach to gene gene editing. The difficulty is it's not quite clear if we can really distinguish, um, if we can draw a clear line between the two. I'll give you an example. So you have someone who has a genetic, who inherits a genetic mutation, and makes that person a dwarf, and that person is basically. Uh, we know that, that that individual, if we don't do anything about it, the the, the individual will go up to be four or five. So we say, okay, let's go ahead and alter that gene so that he'll at, attain normal height. Well, if we are going to change his genes so that he will attain a height beyond what he would have gotten, four, four feet four, for example, why should we stop at 5'10"? Why don't we just give him a height of 6'5", especially if he tells you that he wants to be a basketball player in the NBA. And so here's here's the thing. So the same technology is being used to correct a genetic defect, but the question is, how far do you correct it to? Do you have to correct it to the norm of the population? Does, because he's a man and the normal height in the United States for a white man is about 5'10", should we stop there? Why should we stop there? Why can't we give make him 6'5", given there are, no, there are people who are in the normal spectrum of the population who are 6'5". You see them on the NBA. So this is where it gets a little fuzzy. Exactly what sort of moral principles would we use to discern one from the other is not quite clear to me, and I don't think it's quite clear to many people at this time.
0: So who's talking about these moral issues, and what are they saying about it?
1: Well, it's a very, I mean, there, there, there is a, a decades long conversation about gene editing. Uh, what has changed is that CRISPR technology has made it so much more accurate and so much, it, it's just a lot cheaper than we anticipated that it's now open to anyone. So uh, there are a lot of people who've talked about this. We just didn't think we could do it so soon and so easily. Uh, in the Catholic Church, there's certainly the Pontifical Academy for Life has has uh, had conversations on this topic. The Catholic moral theologians thinking about it, but we have not really engaged with this area because we didn't anticipate this technology for at least another 50 years. And so there were there were skirmishes in the discussion. People began to imagine the scenario, but now that the scenario is here, we really need to have this conversation. I think one of the challenges for the Catholic intellectual tradition is that many Catholics tend to think in terms of natural law virtue ethics. And the natural law presupposes that the nature, uh, that human nature is stable and is therefore an appropriate standard for moral and ethical discourse. The difficulty now is that when we're actually discussing how we're going to change this nature, there is nothing of that. And I mean, we, we imagine the perfection of nature through habits, virtues, and grace, but we've never really talked about, and, and the tradition in the last 2,000 years has certainly not engaged with the possibility that you could change the nature in such a way that for some people a new kind of human being, a post-human kind of being is what you're bringing into being. Now, uh, for the Catholic traditions, it's clear we are rational animals, so as long as we are rational, we are still the same natural kind, we belong to the same species, but I think that, you know, it, it would not be unexpected that for most people out there who are not really reflective or philosophically sophisticated, changing some accidental attributes of human persons who would make them super people, super men and super women, and they would be tempted to think that these would be, people would be other than what they are, they themselves are. And you, you see this. I mean, we have this in, in literature, you have vampires, and you've got uh, creatures who are able to, do, X-Men. These are people who are able to do things that are um, beyond the the norm, and The narrative of most of these stories assumes that unenhanced people, you and me, perceive these individuals to be other in such a way that they are other than human. And so there there are many, many issues that we're going to have to consider uh, in the years to come, and we better get going at it quickly.
0: So just to clarify, you wouldn't say that genetic enhancement is inherently problematic. Well, you see, I, I, what I'm saying is, we're not really sure what enhancement means right now. So,
1: if I, so there are people with IQs of 220. They do. They're just born with that. If I take the IQ of, if I if I take you, and I modify you so that uh, you have an IQ of 220, I've enhanced you, right? But you, in a sense, also enhance yourself when you study. So if you decide to go off and get five PhDs, you technically have also enhanced your intellect that way. We don't think there's a problem enhancing our intellects through learning. But if there's no inherent problem with enhancing our intellects so that we are quicker and smarter from learning, then it would seem that we would be hard-pressed to argue that enhancing ourselves using pharmacological, as in drugs, or genetic interventions would be morally different simply because of the way that we do it. Now, if I gave you an, uh, an IQ of 2,000 where, where you are so beyond the norm, some may argue that that's a moral question, but if we simply give people what other people already have, is that really enhancing or is that simply improving? And what's the difference? I just don't think we, we have the, the philosophical and moral categories to appropriately address these
0: questions. But you do think that at some point we will have these categories?
1: I hope so. But, you know, uh, only God knows this right now. And there's an enormous amount of intellectual work that has to go into this to try to figure out exactly what we mean when we say enhancement. Uh, And if we're not clear on what enhancement is, it's really hard to figure out if it's good or bad. Because as I pointed out to you, and people will say, well, how about enhancing people so they're more, so we we enhance their cognitive abilities so that they are more focused and they're, they're sharper? And I say, we do that already. It's called coffee. So, you know, when people wake up and they take coffee, they're pharmacologically enhancing their cognitive abilities, and it's very clear that people on coffee are able to perform better. They're able to do better on tests. Now, if we do that genetically, what what's the difference? Is there a difference? I'm actually not sure, and I think this is part of the questions that we as an intellectual community have to deal with. If if we say that there's something inherently problematic with genetically altering someone so that he can function as if he was on coffee without coffee, then we would have to figure out why that is the case and to come up with a clear argument for that. And if we say that genetically enhancing someone so that they are cognitively able to function as if they're on coffee, and then we say there is no problem, then that appears to suggest that there's nothing inherently wrong with genetic enhancement. And if there's nothing inherently wrong with genetic enhancement, then the question arises, are there boundaries for genetic enhancement, other kinds of genetic enhancement that may be beyond the moral pale? But we won't know that until we sit down and have sustained engagement in the conversation about this. Notice too, however, that I have um, completely gone around the methodology of genetic enhancement. I'm assuming here that we could genetically enhance people, adults. We could deliver viruses to them. We could inject viruses into them that would then infect their cells and genetically enhance their cells. Um, I would find it very morally problematic if the genetic enhancements were done um, using. Artificial reproductive technologies that um, lead to the death of innocent human beings at the embryonic stage.
0: I'm happy you brought that up. How do artificial reproduction technologies factor into the moral discussion of genetic enhancement?
1: The easiest way to make right. So the easiest way to make a genetically modified person is to genetically modify him when he's one cell large, when he's an embryo. That's just simply the easiest way, and we're already beginning to do that. The United Kingdom has um, has approved a mitochondrial genetic transfer to try to uh, alter the genetics of a human person at the embryonic stage. Um, the Catholic Church, rightfully so, has, has condemned such technologies for many, many reasons, one of it being that um, the technology at this point is such that the efficiency rate is not 100% so you you are you are basically taking people and putting their lives at risk embryonic uh, very small immature human persons so and but those those the moral objections to that is independent of genome enhancement it's it's in, it's it's independent of crispr it's independent of gene editing the moral objections to any work with ivf and embryonic uh, manipulation is basically is based upon the church's uh, a deep awareness in Christ, both philosophically and theologically, that the best philosophy and the best science affirms the full humanity of of the embryo, and therefore that embryo, because that embryo is is fully human, should therefore be be respected uh, as he truly is, which is as you and I are respected as, 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 as organisms who are also truly human. So so the reason why I have basically put stepped aside from the whole, the whole IVF question is because the IVF question should be dealt with independently of the CRISPR genome editing question. Uh, the IVF question stands stand on its own. Uh, the question we have to deal with as a Christian Catholic community is if a time comes where Genome editing can be done without any embryonic work, without any IVF work. And I don't think this is unreasonable to imagine. Um, And this can be done in utero, where you have a three-month-old fetal child, and we are able to use viral technology to genetically enhance, genetically alter that person. Or if we're able to do this in an adult, Those are the kind of questions we need to be talking about, and I don't think we've thought about it enough uh, at this time.
0: Do you think that genetic enhancement runs the risk of encouraging a eugenics perspective on human life?
1: Well, I mean, if you understand genetics to mean this ideology of uh, where people wish to enhance and to improve uh, the human race genetically, the gene pool, then yes. Uh, but again, I, I, as I point out, we now know of epigenetics. So basically, we know that we can do this by simply altering what we eat. So there are, there are clear studies that obese fathers and obese mothers will give rise to children who are inclined to obesity and type 2 diabetes. And this is not through genetic changes, but it's actually through epigenetic changes and so you would want to improve uh, the next generation, right? I, 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 I want people not to be obese so that the next generation won't be obese. Now, the question is, is this eugenics? Is to, to say that I want the next generation of people to be healthier than this, than the current generation. Some people would say that in principle that's eugenics. Uh, I, would, I would say if that's eugenics, that's good eugenics. Um, And so, again, we have to have a deeper conversation uh, with regards to eugenics. We need to ask, what exactly do we mean by eugenics? Because it's clear that there are ways to improve future generations to make them healthier. We do not have to necessarily alter their genes directly. We can actually urge people today to alter their, their lifestyles so that the epigenetic and genetic constitution of their children is healthier. I want to I want to encourage that and and if that's eugenics then we need to we we need a deeper conversation as to what we mean by eugenet eugenics as a as a community of believers as a community of thinkers.
0: One concern raised about the technology is that it can modify germline cells. What exactly are people worried about?
1: So, uh The human body at a fundamental level is made up of two kinds of cells. There are somatic cells, which is the vast majority of our cells. And these are the cells that uh, make up our body as a functioning organism. Now, a subset of of those cells, a subset of cells in our body are called gametes. They are cells that are able to give rise to the next generation. In ordinary parlance, we call these sperm and egg. And so the question is whether or not there is a difference, and I think there is, between attempts to uh, edit the genomes of our somatic cells so that we are able to make ourselves smarter or ourselves uh, live longer or ourselves uh, be more to enhance our own immune responses. So there, there, there's there's a sense where there are paradigms of genetic enhancement and genetic engineering where it's focused on the agent himself. But then there's a the concern raised by people who wish to genetically engineer and to genetically edit the next generation of human beings. And this is basically genetically engineered, custom customized babies. And I think, and I'm going to separate these two questions because I think these are two separate moral questions. And the question arises, what, if any, moral, let me rephrase it, should we be able to alter the genes of our children? Now, there are those who would say that if we're able to alter the genes of our children who would would have been born sick, I would agree. I would say yes. If we're able to alter the genes of our children so they are actually healthy, um, and I, again, I'm assuming that this this technology would have to be undertaken without any uh, violation or disrespect of the, of the embryonic human person. If we're able to alter the genes for uh, children so they are born healthy, I think that's something that should be that we should we should embrace, that we should actually promote uh, in utero genetic engineering if, if uh, in a sense. But again, as I pointed out, once we are able to talk about fixing genetic defects, we are raised with the question of a question of how far do you fix it? And once you are ra- once you raise that question, it raises the question of where exactly is the line between fixing and improving? And then, from improving to transcending what is human, and again, these again, are all these these are deeply profound questions, not only involving moral moral theology but anthropology, how the human person is. And to be honest with you, I don't think our civilization is quite ready to really hasn't begun that conversation that we should have in depth. It's an exciting time, but it's also an exciting time, tinted with with um a certain wariness, right? Because CRISPR can herald a, a so many technologies that can that can benefit uh, those who are sick and suffering. But at the same time, as any scientific tool, it can be used in ways that can undermine and attack the dignity of the human person. And and I think, as a Catholic moral theologian, I would hope that the Catholic Church, the Catholic community of believers would be at the forefront of always reminding scientists that all that we do as scientists has to be in service of the human person. And this is not to treat the human person as an object, but always as a subject made in the image and likeness of God who's destined for glory in Christ.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much, Father. Thank you very much. And uh, it
1: was wonderful having this conversation.
0: God bless you. That was Father Nicanor Ostriaco, talking with us about a few of the moral implications of gene editing. Father Ostriaco is the guest editor of the spring 2017 issue of the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly, which deals specifically with CRISPR technology. For more information on CRISPR or to find answers to other bioethical questions, visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications. Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. I'm your host, Phil Cerrone. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.